0: be in Romans chapter 16 Uh, if you're grabbing one of the hard uh, back Bibles around the room it's going to be on page 950 again that's Romans chapter 16 and we're going to invite Miss Eloisa up to read uh, the scriptures for us today
1: good morning church stand for the reading of God's word. In heaven we see that we see that people from all nations, tribes, tongues will be worshiping Jesus. To honor that, I will be reading scripture in Spanish. We are going to be on chapter 16 of the book of Romans, which is on page 950. Saludos personales. Les recomiendo a nuestra hermana Febe, diaconisa de la iglesia de San Les pido que la reciban dignamente en el Señor, como viene a hacerlo entre hermanos en la fe. Préstense toda la ayuda que necesite, porque ella ha ayudado a muchas personas entre las que me encuentro yo. Saluden a Priscila y Aquila, mis compañeros de trabajo en Cristo Jesús. Por salvarme la vida, ellos arriesgaron la suya. Tanto yo como todas las iglesias de los gentiles les estamos agradecidos. Saluden igualmente a la iglesia que se reúne en la casa de ellos. Saluden a mi querido hermano Epeneto, en primer convertido a Cristo en la provincia de Asia. Saluden a María, que tanto ha trabajado por ustedes. Saluden a Andrónico y a Junías, mis parientes y compañeros de cárcel. Destacados entre los apóstoles y convertidos a Cristo antes que yo, saluden a Amplias, mi querido hermano en el Señor. Saluden a Urbano, nuestro compañero de trabajo en Cristo y a mi querido hermano Estaquis. Saluden a Apeles, que ha dado tantas pruebas de fe en Cristo. Saluden a los de la familia de Aristóbulo. Saluden a Herodion, mi pariente. Saluden a los hermanos de la familia de Narciso, fieles en el Señor. Saluden a Trifena y Trifosa, las cuales se esfuerzan trabajando por el Señor. Saluden a mi querida hermana Persida, que ha trabajado muchísimo en el Señor. Saluden a Rufo distinguido creyente, y a su madre, que ha sido también como una madre para mí. Saluden a Sincrinto, a Flegonte, a Hermes y a Patrobas, a Hermas y a los hermanos que están con ellos. Saluden a Filogo, a Julia, a Nereo y a su hermana, a Olimpas y a todos los hermanos que están con ellos. Salúdense unos a otros con un beso santo. Todas las iglesias de Cristo les mandan saludos. Les ruego, hermanos, que se cuiden de los que causan divisiones y dificultades y van en contra de lo que ustedes les han enseñado. Apártense de ellos. Tales individuos no sirven a Cristo nuestro Señor, sino a sus propios deseos. Con palabras suaves y lisonjeras engañan a los ingenuos. Es cierto que ustedes viven en obediencia, lo que es bien conocido de todos, y me alegro mucho. Pero quiero que sean sagaces para el bien e inocentes para el mal. Muy pronto, el Dios de paz aplastará a Satanás bajo los pies de ustedes. Que la gracia de nuestro Señor Jesús sea con ustedes. Saludos de parte de Timoteo, mi compañero de trabajo, como también de Lucio, Jasón y Sosistáper, mis parientes. Yo, Tercio, que escribo esta carta, les saludo en el Señor. Saludos de parte de Gallo, de cuya hospitalidad disfrutamos yo y toda la iglesia de este lugar. También les manda saludos Erasto, que es el tesorero de la ciudad, y nuestro hermano Cuarto. El Dios Eterno ocultó su misterio durante los largos siglos, pero ahora lo ha revelado por medio de los escritos proféticos, según su propio mandato, para que todas las naciones obedezcan a la fe, al que puede fortalecerlos, a ustedes conforme a mí, Evangelio y a la predicación acerca de Jesús Cristo. Al único sabio Dios, Sea la gloria para que siempre por medio de Jesús Cristo. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray to you that your Holy Spirit will be revived inside of us. Allow us to receive your word. Allow us to feel the power of your presence in your church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to safely gather here to honor you and to glorify you. In Jesus Christ, is that we pray. Amen.
0: You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you, Eloisa. How cool is that, huh? That's awesome. All right, well, good morning, church. My name is Matt. I am one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're a guest, we're honored that you would join us this morning as we gather to worship God and seek to know him better. Um, Today, we find ourselves at the end of the book of Romans, which uh, is pretty cool. We've been doing this for almost a year now, and so it's pretty exciting to get to the end. And next week, we're starting the book of Judges. And the Judges is one of those books that many people in the Bible, we don't know a ton about, so we don't spend a whole lot of time there. But as your pastors, we feel like there's a lot of good stuff in that book for us, and we're excited for what has, God has in store for us in our upcoming series. Um, So today, we're in the book of Romans now. You guys read along. It didn't sound like a whole lot of names, but as you read it, you're like, oh, great. It's that chapter of the names. Can we just skip this, right? Like, I mean, we have this tendency to like, oh, here's the list of names. I'll just skip to the next chapter. And, uh, you know, I think that when we do that, we we miss out on what God has for us. It might be easy for us to skip this text But really, we believe that the whole of Scripture has been inspired by God, even the list of names. Paul told Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so my prayer, as I've been reading through these names, has been that God would teach us and instruct us and make us more complete, as Paul instructed Timothy. So, this morning, this list of names is like the credits at the end of the Book of Romans. And I'm kind of a, I, I like to watch a lot of movies. Um, and some of my favorites are the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, come on. If you don't, then you've been living under a rock for a while, I think. so, But um, but in the Marvel movies, one of the things that they've come to to do at the end of every movie is they have these mid-credit scenes and these post-credit scenes. And I mean, I, I guess their whole idea was like, how do we get people to sit through the credits? Oh, we put another scene at the end of the movie, so that way they have to sit and watch, right? And, and, and so what Marvel does with these post-credit scenes is they like to hint at danger that's to come and remind us of hope that's still out there. And that's really what we see going on here in the book of Romans. You see, Marvel thought they had this thing figured out, but Paul did it first here in Romans 16. And so as we look at this list of names today, we're going to see that there is this coming danger that's warned of. But there's also a reminder of the hope that we have. So as we get into this this morning, uh, my main point is that ordinary Christianity is for ordinary Christians. And so here we're going to get a bunch of ordinary Christians behind me, maybe. There they are. Look at those beautiful people. All right. Um, And and so as we finish our series on ordinary Christianity, I think this is fitting that we see just this list of ordinary people that make up the church. And uh, what we see this morning in the book of Romans is that the church of God is made up of ordinary yet diverse individuals who are united by the gospel for the glory of God. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So the first thing what we're going to look at is um, just the ordinariness of the people in this list. So we've got a bunch of names from verse 1 through verse 15. I'm not even going to try and pronounce all of them. Okay, And then we've got another list of names from 21 through 23. And so in 1 through 15, Paul is sending greetings to 27 people by name, but he's also including countless other people in phrases like in verse 5 where he says the church in their house or those who belong to such and such a family in verses 10 and 11 or the brothers who are with them in verse 14 or all the saints who are with them in verse 15. So of the 35 people that are named here, only 8 of them, are mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. And so if we think about that, that means that 20% of these people are known, but the other 80%, they're just faces in the crowd. They're just ordinary folk. The people that we know about are Priscilla and Aquila from verse three. We know about them from back in the book of Acts. There are people that Paul ministered with. They were tent makers like Paul. Paul lived with them for a while. Um, And there are people that he sends greetings to in some of his other letters. And then Timothy is somebody that we know something about. He is also one of Paul's traveling companions from the book of Acts. We know that Paul leaves him to set up a church. And then he writes letters to Timothy uh, that we have recorded for us in Scripture. So he's one of the more prominent figures here. The other people are some of Paul's traveling companions. And that's about all we know about them. And then the rest... Like I said, they're just faces in the crowd. Ordinary people like you and me. People who go to their jobs, people who take care of their kids, people who put their pants on one leg at a time, just like the rest of us. And you know what this is? This is good news. This is good news for us because it means that everything that Paul has been writing to the church in Rome is written to ordinary people. It means that everything that God has put together in his word is for us ordinary people it means that the life death and resurrection of jesus are for ordinary people like us you know i think we can get so caught up in the thinking that we have to be extraordinary to earn god's favor or that we have to be extraordinary to make impact in god's kingdom but what we see here is that's baloney god uses the ordinary people to do the work that he's calling the church to do And so if my main point is that ordinary Christianity is for ordinary people, that means that the gospel of Jesus is also for us ordinary people. So not only is the church made up of ordinary people, but it's made up of all kinds of ordinary people. We see all kinds of diversity in this church in Rome. So the first thing that we see is diversity as far as gender is concerned. So... There are 27 names listed here in verses 1 through 15. Of those 27 names, eight of them are females. We have Phoebe in verse 1. She's called a servant and a patron of many and of myself as well, Paul says. We have Prisca in verse 3, or Priscilla as it's rendered sometimes. She's one of Paul's fellow workers, and and we're told that her and her husband risked their necks for Paul's life. We have Mary in verse 6, who has worked hard for you, Paul says. We have Junia in verse 7, who Paul describes as one of his fellow prisoners. We have Tryphena and Tryphosa, who are described in verse 12 as workers of the Lord. Many people believe that they're sisters because of how similar their names are. It's kind of like the Fuller kids, all of their names starting with a C, right, you know? We have Persis in verse 12, who has worked hard in the Lord. In verse um, 13, we have reference to Rufus' mother. She's not even named here, but Paul makes reference to her and says that she has been a mother to me as well. And then we have reference to Julia in verse 15, as well as the sister of Nereus. And so we have these eight women by name, and then a couple other women who are alluded to through the text. But notice in these verses, as Paul is talking about these women, um, he comments on their work for the Lord. These women were highly valued by Paul because of the service that they were providing for the church in Rome. How they were ministering in that city. We see from these verses that these women were an active part of the church. That they were influential in the ongoing ministry in the church in Rome. And in God's mission, um, they're in that region. The next area of diversity we see is this economic diversity. Um, It's revealed right from the beginning when we read about Phoebe. And it's something that we might miss because there's words in here that we don't use often. It says that Phoebe was um, a patron of many and of myself as well. And this word patron could be translated as benefactor or benefactress since she was a female. And so that's not a word that we're really accustomed to or that we use a lot in the the English language. Um, but it was fitting because this week I actually saw a sign at my school that had benefactors check in here with an arrow pointing because we had scholarship night on Wednesday night. And so what we do is we hold like a little um, kind of just a meet and greet for the benefactors of our scholarship night um, beforehand. And so there was a big sign as I showed up for scholarship night that said, benefactors, check in here. You see, I love scholarship night at my school. It's one of my favorite nights of the year. The seniors are about to graduate, and they give me a microphone and let me give thousands of dollars away to kids. Like, what an awesome thing, right? But the whole thing about it is that that money's not coming out of my pocket. I can't afford it. But there are people who are providing that money, these benefactors who are providing these scholarships. So as awesome as I am as a member of this scholarship committee, where I get to you know, nominate kids to receive scholarships or select kids to receive certain scholarships, at the end of the day, when those kids get that scholarship, they're not writing thank you letters to me. They're writing thank you letters to the people who provided the money for those scholarships. They're writing thank you letters to the benefactors of those scholarships. And so in the same way, Phoebe provided resources for many, including Paul. She either came from money or earned a substantial living to be able to provide for others, but she gave generously of what God had given her to push forward the ministry and mission of the kingdom of God. And then in verses 10 and 11 we read these two names Aristobulus I've been practicing that one all week cuz that was one of the harder ones for me okay and Narcissus and we're both told and we're told that they're both heads of households or it could be translated heads of estates and so they're probably people that come from wealth or have um, it accrued some form of wealth for themselves to be described as this head of a state. But in this same list, we've got people who are given slave names. In verse nine, we're told, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stakes. Urbanus literally means bought in the city. Could you imagine if that's what your name meant? Bought in the city. And Stakies, his name means ear of corn, so I'm wondering if that's what his job was as a slave, was to be out there working on the farm, picking those ears of corn. It's kind of crazy that these people are in the same place. But we have this economic diversity here in this church at Rome. We also have racial diversity here in the church of Rome. Many people listed here have Greek and Roman names. Names like Phoebe and Eponetus and Ampliatus and Tryphena and Tryphosa. If any of you are you know, pregnant or expecting or maybe someday in the future, like those might be some names to consider, right? Like and at the same time, we have many Jewish names as well. Like, We know that Priscilla and Aquila were Paul's kinsmen, we're told, in the book of Acts. And then Paul describes um, Herodian as his kinsman, and um, Andronicus and Junia in verse 7 as his kinsman as well. And so we have European Christians, we have Jewish Christians, and we also have African Christians listed here in this um, group of people. We know that Rufus was the son of Simon of Cyrene, the man who helped carry the, the cross with Jesus. We know that Lucius was also from Cyrene. And Cyrene is a province in Africa at this point in time. So we have different races. We have different genders. We have different classes. And then we also see that this is a multi-generational church. We've got Narcissus and uh, Aristobulus. That's still the hard one for me, okay? But they're both heads of households, so they're probably representing multiple generations. And then we know for sure that we have multiple generations when we read in verse 13 about Rufus and his mom going to the same church and being a part of the same work that God is doing. And there's lots of people who come to this church and their parents also come to this church, which I think is really cool. But this is not only a diverse church as far as race and um, their, their economic class and the gender, but also age as well. And so kind of like the credits at the end of the movie, This church wouldn't exist without these servants. And in the same way, the church here in Sparks wouldn't exist without these servants. And so I want to highlight some of the people that serve in our church and help make the ministry that we do here in Sparks um, possible. And so we're going to start like Paul did with the women. And so look at at these lovely ladies up here. We've got Amber and Joy and my wife Kelly and my mother-in-law Pat and then Jess and Donica, and Doris, and Mackenzie, and Teresa, and Melanie, and Brooke, and Phoenix, all of these women serving faithfully at the church, from working with kids, to help running women's ministries, to greeting and cleaning our building, all kinds of ministries represented there. Now I want to tell you this, these aren't the only women who work in our church, and help serve in our church. It's hard to get a lot of pictures of people. They started to think I was a creep last week, and so, (laughs) and then like, People don't stick around, and so I got to get pictures when I can. And so this is just a small representative of people who are serving our church, but we are grateful for them. So let's give the ladies who serve in our church a round of applause. Thank you guys so much. The next thing that we see in verse 3 is Paul talks about Priscilla and Aquila, and he says that they risk their necks for him, but he also says, Greet also the church that meets in their house. And so as we look through this list, what we see is that the structure of this Roman church would have been that of a bunch of small house churches or small groups. And so we kind of have the same thing going on here in our community group system. We have people who each and every week open up their homes so that other people can come and invade their space and hear about Jesus. Jesus. And, like, as somebody that does this, like, week in and week out, sometimes it gets to be a, a lot. But there are people who have been doing this for years because this is a way that they're faithfully serving God in our church and making an opportunity for people to hear about Jesus. And so some of those people are, are pictured up here behind me. Um, some of these people you might not know, but, like, the Maytans, they open up their house for a community group to meet at. The, the Macalusos, they open up their home and lead the community group. We have the the Andersons who open up their home for, or who lead a community group and are praying about opening up their home for another community group. Um, We have the bishops who open up their home for people to meet there. And, And this is just a small representative. We have 15 community groups. So there's 15 different homes that are being opened up and a bunch of different leaders that are leading in those places. And so we want to say thanks to those people as well. So thank you guys very much who open up your homes and help lead community groups at our church. I mean, really honestly like what happens here wouldn't happen without these people and so we are very thankful for all the servants that we have here and so I don't want to leave the dudes out because Paul didn't leave the dudes out either and so um there are a lot of men that help serve in our church as well and so I just want to highlight some of those guys as well and so we have Levi uh, greeting there we have Adam and Kenny we have Jonathan and Rolston And we have Nate and David and Pastor Shea and Gabe. And and like I said, there are countless other men that serve at our church. And they serve in all sorts of areas, from doing tech to helping connect people to being greeters to serving on the worship team to helping keep our kids safe. All across the board, we have men serving and being very faithful to make sure that God's message of salvation is going forward here at Livingstone Sparks and that people are able to come in and and just receive that because of the work that they're doing. And so I want to say thank you to those men as well. So thank you very much for your service. And then I want to draw our attention to verse seven. It says, Greet Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Um, It seems as though There are also people in the church who God appoints and sends out. And and so we have somebody in our church that we're sending out to to Guatemala. And so I just want to give Angela some props because we have sent her out to to push forward the the ministry of God in Guatemala. And so um, if you're interested in hearing about what she's doing in Guatemala, here's a quick plug. Um, She's going to give a little presentation in here at 1 o'clock today and so you can stick around and hear that but let's thank her for the service that she's providing down there as well so these are our ordinary christians maybe they'll be back there this is just a a, a small group of them that i was able to get pictures of without being too creepy last week but but these are people that make this ministry work here and, and so if we think about the people that Paul lists, the people that we just saw pictures of, what is it that brings them together? You see, Pastor Shea last week was talking about all the isms in our society that separate us. Sexism, ageism, classism, racism. We see all of that thrown out the window in the church of Rome. And it's our prayer that that would all be thrown out the window here in our church in Sparks. So what is it that brings us together? It's the gospel of Jesus that unites us. And so that's the next thing that we're going to look at. So if we go through these first 15 verses, there's all this phrase, these phrases that come up. Like in verse 1, we see the phrase, in the Lord. In verse 3, we see the phrase, in Christ Jesus. In verse 7, we see the phrase, in Christ. And then again in verse 8, the phrase, in the Lord. And I could keep going Because similar phrases show up in verses 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. About us being in Christ. In verse 10, Paul says that Apelles was approved in Christ. In verse 13, we read that Rufus was chosen by the Lord. In the midst of all the diversity in the church at Rome, there was one thing that brought all these people together was the gospel of Jesus. You see, we all need Jesus, whether we realize it or not. Paul has been making this point for 16 chapters in the book of Romans. We all need Christ because as we read earlier from Romans chapter three, none of us is perfect. In fact, Paul says that we've all fallen short of God's standard. The prophet Isaiah says that we have all gone astray. And because we have all chosen on some level to live life our way, according to our standards and not God's, this is what the Bible calls sin. And this is the bad news. But the good news that Paul has been trying to convey to the church in Rome and in turn is trying to convey to us is that Christ died for sinners. Because the wages of sin was death. But the gift of God was eternal life. This is the good news of the gospel. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That you will be reunited with God. That you will be given Jesus' righteousness. That no longer will you have to try and earn your way to heaven, but God will transport you there on that very day when you go to be with him. By believing this, not only are we united to God, but we are united with each other in perfect harmony. And that's why at the end of this list in verse 16, Paul says this, greet one another with a holy kiss. This was a tradition of these early Christians to, to kiss one another on the cheek when they would come together. And it was a sign that there was no division between them. It was a sign that one person was not superior to another person, but that everyone in the church was on an even playing field. And we know this for two reasons. One, because we've all been created in the image of God. And two, that they were all united by Christ and none of them were above one another because they were all in need of Jesus. And being found in him, they were all one. You see, this idea of a holy kiss, this wasn't something that everybody did. In fact, in other spheres in this first century, if you went into a place and you thought somebody was beneath you, you wouldn't offer your kiss for them to, ch- your cheek for them to kiss, sorry. You would offer them your hand as if they were beneath you, not in the church of God, because they were all one in Christ. Amen? So, what does this look like in our culture? Am I going to have you guys all get up and give each other a kiss? No, that would probably be weird, right? Some of you might think that you're close enough with somebody else to give them a kiss. You try it. If it falls flat, don't do it again, all right? They'll just I don't want to keep this up, okay? So if we want to be a church that desires this oneness with a diverse group of people, we must strive after it. We need to welcome people who don't look like us. We need to welcome people who look like they don't want to be welcomed. You know, Keep this in mind, church. And this is something that has really broken my heart this year. That if you look around, we're, we're predominantly a white church. Right? And if somebody comes into our building, comes to church here that's not white, they automatically feel out of place. Let's not make it worse by not talking to them and by isolating them. And we've had people that have left our church because that has happened in these walls. Let it never be so again, church. Let us not be those people. We need to go out of our way and greet people who aren't like us because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. So now we get to Paul's warning in verse 17. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. You see, there is a threat of danger coming to the church at Rome. It's a threat that we've seen realized in other churches in the first century as well as in our church or in the church in the 21st century. The threat is that of division. And so if we think about this, we're, we're not going back to Romans 14 and 15, where people were dividing over you know questions of their conscience and different convictions they had over open-handed issues. Know what Paul warns us of here is division over those things that we should hold on so tightly to, these closed-handed issues that are the core of our Christian faith, that are what separate us from other religions in the world. It says. That there are those who would cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. And Paul has been teaching us for 16 chapters about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are people who want to come in and teach contrary to that. There are people who want to come in and say, oh, you need Jesus, but you also need your good works. There are people that want to come in and say that you need to do this, this, and this to be saved. Or this, this, and this to go to heaven. But the Bible says no. We need Jesus and that's it. We can't earn our way there. And so look at how these men come in or these people come in. It says, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. People are gonna come in and they're gonna sound great. They're gonna look great. But we have to measure what they're saying with what we've already been taught. Pastor Gavin and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday because he's in Carson preaching this same text this morning. And we were talking about it's easy to avoid guys that come in that are just weird and teaching weird things. And like they they don't sound all that great and they're kind of crazy. We can avoid those guys. But it's the guys that come in and they look good and their speech is polished. And they sound like they know what they're talking about. But no matter how much they sound like they know what they're talking about, we still need to measure it against what we have in God's word. And some of them, we're going to have to say, sorry, no thanks, that's not for us. There are heretics in the long line of heretics that have been great looking guys, that have been people that you can't avoid because of how charismatic they are. But they're still teaching something that's not true and we need to avoid them. It was happening in the first century. It's happening in the 21st century. So Christians, we need to be aware and we need to not be naive. Paul tells Timothy this. He says, as for the person who stirs up, or excuse me, he tells Titus this. As for the person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. I know that this is a hard pill to swallow sometimes. Our hope is that they would repent and place their faith in the true gospel message and preach the true gospel message. But if it's the case that Paul is referring to here and they're serving themselves and not Christ, we need to remove them from our community. It's not easy, but it's necessary at times. And we've actually had to do that with false teachers who have come to this church. We've had to ask them not to come back because they're teaching things that are contrary to the gospel of Jesus. As Christians, we need to not be naive though. Peter tells us that our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And as your pastors, we want to protect you from that. But you also need to be proactive. Look what Paul says then in verse 19. He says, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. In other words, Paul is instructing the church um, in Rome and really us to keep learning how to do good, keep learning how to love God and serve him. And so I want to give you four practical ways to do that this morning. One, by being in prayer. Two, by reading his word. Three, by making church and community group a priority. I know that this is like the last Sunday before summer and the temptation is going to be to not come back for a while. But we need to make church a priority, people. We need to be around God's people because that's one of the ways that God continues to spur us on to good works. And then the last one is we need to not see ourselves as compartmentalized beings. We can go to work and I'm a, Teacher, when I'm at work, and I can go home and I can be a parent when I'm at home, and I can go to church and I can be a Christian then. But what God tells us is that everything that we do is sacred. I go to work as a Christian who teaches, not a teacher who's a Christian. I'm a Christian who's a parent, not a parent who's a Christian. Everything that I do is sacred and can be done for the glory of God because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to pursue that, Christians. The other instruction that we have from Paul is to be innocent as to what is evil. Church, we need to resolutely refuse anything that has to do with evil or that is contrary to the gospel of Christ. And what this isn't is us just huddling in this building, all of us Christians together until Christ returns or we die. But what this is, Is us being so enraptured by the good, the true and the beautiful that God has made known to us that our desire wouldn't be for anything else but him. Okay, church? Because once we let a little bit of this evil in, the Bible says that a little leaven leavens the whole lump and it begins to permeate through our whole being. So then look at verse 20. It says this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now this verse kind of sneaks up on us. Because we've been talking about people coming in, causing division, and then Paul switches it on us. And he says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. But that's because at the heart of all division, we have a real enemy that wants nothing more but to steal, kill, and destroy us. And that's us as individuals, that's us as a church. But We see here in verse 20 that it's not only the gospel that unites us as Christians, but it's the gospel that protects us. Because in the gospel, we see that our Lord will stomp out the devil once and for all. As Paul says this, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan, he's remembering back to the first time the gospel was ever told in Genesis three fifteen, when God told the enemy, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, church, Jesus is the head crusher, both at the cross and on his return. Jesus has dealt the final blow to Satan. He has defeated sin, death, and Satan on the cross. But look back back at verse 20. It says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. It's not something that he's doing all on his own, but he brings us into his victory by the power of the gospel. This is amazing news, church, that because of the favor that God has shown towards us, that we are victorious in Christ as well. I was uh, thinking about this, um, and I like to watch a lot of nature shows. And my wife thinks it's kind of gruesome sometimes because a lot of nature shows, they show a lot of that killing going on and stuff. And it's the circle of life, right? (laughs) But one of the shows I was watching, there was this um, wild cat and the mom was taking out the kids hunting. And what the mama did is, the mama dealt the death blow to where the animal that they were hunting couldn't move any longer. And what did she do? She let the kids come up and jab at it and poke at it to help them learn about that, you know, that primal instinct to go out and kill because it's not something that they want to do, but like it's something that was built in them. And so that's how the mom trades. But that's what God has done with us. He has dealt the death blow. And now we get to come up and be a part of that victory with him. You see, Satan suffers defeat each time someone puts their faith in Christ. Satan suffers defeat um, every time someone receives their righteousness from God and not their own good works. Satan suffers defeat every time someone is transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. Church, every time we joyfully obey our Lord, every time we gather together to worship God in unity and faith, God is working through us and triumphing over our enemy because he is victorious and in him we are victorious. So I pray, church, the grace of the Lord Christ be with you all. It's the gospel that unites us, it's the gospel that binds us together, it's the gospel that makes us one. And it's when we live by faith in the gospel that God is glorified. As ordinary people, we serve a God who is extraordinary, He is the only one worthy of glory. Honor and praise. And so to end this, we're going to end it just the way that Paul did. I'm going to invite you guys to stand with me and we're going to read this doxology from the end of the book of Romans. And a doxology is just praise to God. If you aren't a Christian, offering praise to God might seem like a weird thing for you, but I would encourage you to do this. Think about what you've seen in this text, think about what you've heard this morning, and know this that you are here for a reason to hear the good news that has been kept secret through the ages but now brings about faith and transformation in ordinary people like you each and every day. And if you're a Christian, let's declare this praise with conviction to the only wise God who is worthy of our praise. So join me now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ God, we thank you that you sent your son to save ordinary people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. And that you reconcile us to yourself and to each other. God, we thank you that you are able to strengthen us through your gospel and bring about the obedience of faith in our lives. Jesus, help us, your church, to be one as you are one. To stand united on things of first importance to be wise to what is good and innocent to what is evil. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.